This week on Double-Edged Sword, cutting to the heart of a deceptive culture, Father Richard Days talks about faith in action on the Kansas farm. What is the most stressful time for farmers? Why is St. Isidore the patron saint of farmers? Well, let's find out. Father Rich is being interviewed by Divine Mercy Radio's on-air host, Ken Billinger. All right, uh, Father Richard Days served our country for 28 years as a military veterinarian before making the decision to serve God as a priest. He was ordained in 2010, served as pastor of St. Mary Parish in Ellis, and is currently pastor of Sacred Heart Parish and School in Colby. He's the vicar for the clergy for the Diocese of Salina, as well as the moderator for the Salina Diocese Rural Life Committee. And as always, we like to welcome in Father Richard Days. How are you, sir? Well, I was a little rushed. Uh, there was a lot more work on I-70 than I planned on, so also, I just got here. Yeah. I coffee, so I'm ready to go. All right. Uh, so if you want to start us with the opening prayer, Father. Okay. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Creator of heaven and earth, we praise you for the goodness of your creation reveals something of you, the source of all goodness. We ask you to bless those who farm and make their living off the land. They know their dependence upon you and look to you to make their crops and livestock fertile and fruitful. Bless them, Lord, with strong faith, healthy bodies, generous hearts, and abundance for good works. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Father. We want to uh, welcome everybody back this afternoon. Father Richard Days is our guest. We're going to talk about faith in action on the Kansas farm. And so, Father, let's talk about that a little bit. How is faith in farming intertwined? I, you know, I can think of a, a, a dozen, you know, right off the top of my head. But let's talk about that. Farmers close to God and working the land. Obviously, let's um, kind of share your thoughts. Well, part of that, and uh, I want to back up just a little bit. Uh, ordinarily, when I do these things, Danetta sends me a list of questions, and some of them I really scratch my head. Well, where did she get that thing? But <laughs> on Tuesday, I got to thinking. You know, when I when she gave me this assignment of uh, faith and action on, and prayer on the farm, I thought, well, boy, that's right up my alley. This will be great. Well, Tuesday, I got to thinking, she didn't send me any questions. And Tuesday night, I opened up my email, and she said, I can't think of any. And I'm going, oh, my gosh, I'm in trouble now. (laughs) But fortunately, that prompted me to come up with a few. And then she also sent me a few. In fact, this first question uh, was one that Donetta sent me. So because we farmers traditionally have lived on the farm, and I grew up on the farm north of Canarado, we're very close to the land. We're very close to God's creation. Every morning when we get up, if it's a beautiful sunrise, you, you realize that God's at work at that. I mean, and he does pretty good work, really. And our sunsets in western Kansas, I mean, I've been all over the world, and I don't think there's any that can outdo, most of them can't even compare with the sunsets that we have in western Kansas. Mm-hmm. Plus the fact this time of year, driving up and down I-70, you'll see the cattle alongside with the baby calves, and they are the most important creatures in the world, or they think they are. And then on the other side of the road, you'll see a, a mare with her, a newborn foal, and he's so awkward, and, but he's going to be a beautiful creature. You can just see it in his makeup. Then also there's the fact that now our wheat crops, our wheat is starting to uh, grow and green and lighten up. 
The pastures right now are very green, and most of the farm ponds also have some water in them. So you can just enjoy God's creation as you drive up and down Interstate 70. But also the fact that a lot of times anymore, we don't live on the land like we used to. Now, there's some of the older folks still have the farm out there, but a lot of people are in farming, but they live in town. And I think it's unfortunate for their kids that they're not right out there on the farm. Mm -hmm. Now, they, they are related to farming. They probably are in 4-H or FFA with livestock projects or even crop projects. Uh, but it's a little different than when you wake up on the, and you go to bed at night. The other thing, on a farm, and in, in western Kansas especially, we can enjoy God's creation so much because you can look and you can see almost the entire Milky Way. I don't know that you can do it in Hayes, but definitely out in western Kansas, where I was from, two miles from the Colorado border, we don't have a lot of light pollution, so we can actually see God's creation and really enjoy it to the max. Earlier this year, we had uh, some full moons that uh, had special names, and out in the farm, you can enjoy those so much more than you can in the city or in the town. So just being close to the God's creation is one of the best blessings that we can have. Plus the fact you are also God's uh, with your stewardship of taking care of the of God's creation, uh, the crops that we plant and then nurture and grow along, the livestock that we're responsible for. And we were just talking before I came in here that uh, during calving season it's almost more like pacing a maternity ward than it is actually taking care of livestock because all of those cows are having calves or if you have goats they're they're having their kids and uh, sheep are having their lambs so it's a very important time because generally speaking God made a pretty good uh, system for the babies but ever so often they have some problems, and that's where we as the stewards have to come in and help them with that. We've talked about how you know, the farmers are close to God and working the land and obviously have to depend on God for those crops and livestock. It can be very humbling at times. And I'm sure farmers, although they may not be as vocal about it as you may think, they're probably praying a lot more than people give them credit for because uh, they realize my entire livelihood depends on, on a good weather or it depends on uh, healthy livestock or it also depends on uh, just getting a rain at the right time. And, it, of course, all of this relates to God and his blessings on us. We also have to realize that sometimes the challenges God has given those to us to strengthen us and, to, uh, and strengthen our faith. There are times, um, I would say probably at least where I was growing up, the most stressful time on the farm was during the wheat harvest. The wheat is ripe at a, just a given time, and you have to get it in because a hailstorm can wipe out the whole year in just a few minutes. And so tempers run short sometimes, and everybody is stressed out. But it is, it's also an enjoyable time because you're seeing the fruits coming through. Other people will say working the cattle, and old cows can be a little bit contrary at times, so that can be stressful. But I still think the wheat harvest is probably, in western Kansas, probably the most stressful time, at least in, that I've experienced. 
I'm sure there are probably uh, the times when the hogs got out or the cow didn't want to go where that I would have probably debated that. But overall, I think uh, wheat <laughs> harvest is very stressful. Mm. But it's also a time when God shows us his blessings. And if we do by chance have a, a, a hailstorm or the wind uh, shatters out most of the crop, that's a challenge too. And we have to, and God's goodwill, he's probably got a, a message for us in that. And it's various times uh, I was amazed at looking back the patience that my parents had because you'd see out there and you'd see that hail come across and you know that's it. But at the same time, I never heard anybody despair or anything. I'm sure there was a lot of uh, what we're going to do now. But my folks seemed to pull it together and we're going to get by. And uh, I think for the most part, that's the thing that you see in the farming communities. In fact, and throughout our entire diocese, because our diocese is a rural diocese, and whether you're directly, for instance, if you're sitting in a radio station, you may not be directly related to farming, but your livelihood depends on agriculture if you're living in this diocese, because a lot of your advertising comes from farming, or it comes from uh, equipment sales, or it comes from folks who uh, work in, uh, in some way or shape or form in agriculture. So the whole country, if they would realize it, do depend on agriculture, because if there's no farms, there's no food. Going back a few years ago, there was the 9-11 Memorial came to Oakley, Kansas, of all places. Mm -hmm. The only place in the Midwest it came, because their next stop was Detroit, Michigan. But they had three firemen who had been at Ground Zero on uh, September 11th, and they were kind of explaining to the kids. We took our fourth and fifth graders down to see it. And it was very interesting and very uh, meaningful for the kids, even. And visiting with those firemen was very rewarding as well. But what I took in more was their reaction to western Kansas. Think about it. These guys were from New York City, where you've got skyscrapers, and all of a sudden you can see the horizon. And it's almost intimidating to them. To us, it's the most rewarding thing in the world, but to them it was somewhat intimidating that all this wide open space. The other thing they found a little hard to deal with was, how do you take care of fires out here? And some of our volunteer firemen said, we don't take care of them, we just guide them into either a, a pasture where it's green grass or a summer fallow or, or a wheat field that's still green and let it burn out. Or by chance, sometimes we could guide it up to a, a highway or a road. But he said, you can't fight it. We've got the wind out here that's too mm -hmm. strong, and we've got all these wide open spaces and a lot of uh, combustible materials. So they found that very interesting. The other thing, they took them out to a feedlot. And although they only had about 40,000 head in that feed yard, to them, that was all the cattle in the world. Would you look <laughs> at all those cows out there? And then someone, uh, I don't remember what they were cutting milo or picking corn, but someone took them on a combine at that time, too, and let them see the crop. And they said, all of them said, people should come and see where their food comes from and the work that goes into providing it for them. Mm -hmm. And that we take, almost take that for granted because this is everyday life for us. But it is, you have to stop and think for a moment, this is a very rewarding, a very challenging uh, profession and a very uh, stewardship that we have that God has trusted us with feeding the rest of the world to a certain degree. Mm. And also taking care of all these plants. 
some of them are very durable. And taking care of the livestock. Baby calves can be very vulnerable. Now, their mamas are not so vulnerable, but they can be very vulnerable, and we're entrusted with their care and their livelihood. And Father, how's farming helping our fellow man? Of course, I think you, you shared that story about people needing to know where, the, where, oh, yeah. where their food comes from, for sure. Well, if there's a, a bumper sticker, and I can't remember what uh, uh, organization puts it out, but it basically it says, no farms, no food. And essentially, that's pretty much it. If we don't have agriculture, we're not going to be able to eat for very long. Um, and the, it's uh, not only just the eating, but also the enjoyment that we have. Agriculture, uh, take care of the environment also. Uh, for instance, uh, we last year there was a lot of uh, wildfires in the West, and a lot of that was they'd been restricting grazing in the forested areas. And uh, so there was a lot of underbrush buildup, a lot of combustible materials along there that ordinarily, if they had been grazing that area with livestock, they wouldn't have had probably, they may have still had the wildfires, but it probably wouldn't have been as extensive or as tragic as it turned out to be. So that is part of uh, being in, in the farmers uh, with their livestock are managing the environment and helping with the ecology. There's a lot of folks that are talking about, you know, well, the cows with their methane gas and everything. Actually, uh, I heard on the radio the other day that uh, the footprint on methane has dr dropped in the United States uh, the last five to ten years. <coughs> And I also can't help but think it may, it may be what we're feeding our livestock. I mean, we're feeding them uh, a milo and, and corn and everything. Maybe that's producing more methane. But I think there was a lot more buffalo in this part of Kansas than their ruminants also. Maybe they don't uh, have produced methane, but I can't help but think they do. <laughs> I think we're just more aware of it now than what we were in the past. Right, yeah. So uh, let's just... Talk about it, and maybe it's, we don't call it a typical day as a farmer because that can that can certainly change. But um, for those who may not know, what does a day as a farmer look like? That's a very good question, and it has changed a lot to when when I was growing up because we were both farming, so we had our, our wheat. We also had feed grains for our livestock feeds, and plus we had summer fallow, and so it was a, a th kind of a three-way rotation. Other people had dryland corn, or they had milo. Some people were into uh, soybeans, and some, a few out in western Kansas were planting pinto beans as well. But now a lot of them are more into grains, and they don't have livestock. Others are more into just livestock, and they buy their corn and everything to feed out their cattle or sheep or whatever, and sometimes then they rent or lease grass for their livestock as well. So a typical day for a farmer is much different than the typical days when I grew up because we had a couple of cows that we milked by hand. Now, if you go to McCarthy Dairy, they have many more cows than just one or two, and they don't milk by hand, but those cows know their place. Number one cow is always the first in line, and God help anybody who gets in her way. And all the rest of them know where their place is, and they're all lined up, ready to be milked. Now, some dairies uh, milk three times a day. Others only milk twice a day. So it kind of depends on what type of a, a, an agricultural industry or a farm that you're talking about. Others... During the winter time, they uh, would go to the shop and they'd be working on repairing machinery or getting it ready for the uh, spring planting. 
or they may be in the middle of uh, harvesting corn or uh, uh, cutting milo. So a lot of things depends on what time of the year it is. Also, it depends on just what type of a farm it is. If it's uh, just grains, then they may be getting their uh, planters ready for planting in the spring. Or they may be finishing up corn. Or they may be getting ready to market the corn and take it to town. Now, we had about a two-ton truck that we uh, carried, and uh, that's nothing compared. Most of the farms now have 18-wheelers and large grain trucks that they take move the market uh, their uh, product to market with. So it kind of varies just to what type of farm you have. But most all farmers get up early. That was one thing growing up I didn't really appreciate that much because a lot of times if I was helping work our summer fallow or get our, uh, our ground ready for planting of uh, the feed grains in the summertime, I was expected to be out and be on the tractor by around 6 in the morning. And that was kind of early then. It still is kind of <laughs> early. But uh, that's kind of it. Cause, and also with the livestock. They don't care whether it's daylight savings time or not. When it's time to be milked, they're in line and they expect you to be there. And also uh, with your feeding the cattle in the wintertime. They don't care what the clock says. It's time to eat. So you better be getting firing up the tractor and getting some food out to them. So a lot of it is based more on what type of uh, agricultural industry you have and also uh, the time of year. Well, one of the things, uh, and as, as I was thinking about that, and you mentioned the dairy farm. Is this a, a farmer in somewhere in western Kansas, that, that uh, dairy farm that's out there? Or? McCarthy Dairy is very interesting. They're, they have a large uh, <coughs> uh, at near Rexford, Kansas. They also have one up near Bird City and also one in Scott City. This whole family came out from Philadelphia, and I don't remember how long ago. But they were looking, and western Kansas had an abundance of uh, feed grains. And so they were looking to move out, and so they established one at uh, Rexford. That one also has an evaporation plant on it. Probably the only, I know it's the only one in the United States and maybe in the world that has an evaporation plant right on it. They sell most of their product, uh, I believe it's Danian yogurt in Dallas. Mm. And so basically one of the sons uh, runs that operation. Another son runs the one up near Bird City. The third one runs the one in Scott City. And I think they have another son that's working for another dairy uh, down in southwest Kansas. So it's really a fascinating thing to see their operation going. Mm. And the community of Rexford welcomed them with open arms because all of those folks that they hire to uh, do their milking has uh, boosted their school system, and it's also boosted the economy around Rexford. Wow. I guess I wasn't aware of uh, any idea of uh, had a, a number of head of cattle that they – that they're milking? Not or? right offhand. Yeah. I don't know. I know there's one down near Cimarron, Kansas that is a 10,000 cow dairy. And I wow. just ha can't fathom that many cows wow. being milked every yeah. day. And probably two, maybe even three times a day. Yeah. We need to take a short break right now, but stay tuned to Divine Mercy Radio. We'll be right back on Double Edged Sword with Father Richard Days. We're back on Double-Edged Sword, cutting to the heart of a deceptive culture. With Father Richard Days. Faith in action on the Kansas farm. 
Ken Billinger conducts the interview. Some of the patron saints of farming, we're not talking just one in particular because there's some different uh, maybe subtitles or whatever you want to call it as, as far right. as patron saints go. So let's talk about those just a little bit. Well, first of all, St. Isidore and why... Uh, I would have been upset if somebody hadn't have gotten uh, figured out that St. Isidore is a patron saint. He's also a patron saint of our diocese because he is a patron saint of farming, and we are a farming diocese. Now, St. Isidore and his wife Maria are both canonized saints, and that's kind of unusual. There's only one or two others that I'm aware of. St. Uh, Therese of Lesseur, her parents were recently canonized. Both of them were canonized as saints. But St. Isidore and St. Maria, his wife, are both canonized saints, and they're patrons of uh, farming and of farmers. St. Isidore was from, uh, born in Spain around the year 1070, and uh, he was a farm worker. He didn't own his farm, but he uh, was a farm worker. And the story goes that, uh, and by the way, his feast day is May 15th, and I'm going to talk a lot more about that coming up, because we want everybody in the Diocese of Salina to know about St. Isidore, and the Rural Life Commission is really putting forth a strong effort to make sure we get the word out, uh, especially this year. But St. Isidore was accused by several of the other uh, farm laborers because he came late, because he would always go to Mass first thing in the morning. But his work never suffered. He would always be, be, exceed the goals of the chores that were given to him. And it was said on one occasion, the uh, landowner went out to just check on it, and he saw somebody out there plowing, and he knew Saint, he'd seen St. Isidore go into Mass. And it turns out that on several occasions, angels were doing the work for St. Isidore until he could get back from Mass. So a lot of times on your, on your prayer card of St. Isidore, you'll see an angel plowing behind an oxen uh, in a field. St. Maria, by the way, her feast day is September 9th. Who's, there's another very wonderful woman whose birthday is that day, and that was my mom. But uh, she's not canonized, but I think she's a saint. <laughs> but uh, St. Maria always kept the pot full of stew on the fireplace in their very humble dwelling. And she knew that Isidore would often bring home anyone who was hungry. So she had, uh, was well, ready to welcome anybody he brought home. And one day he brought home more hungry people than usual, and after she had served many of them, Maria told him that there simply was no more stew left in the pot. But he insisted she check the pot again, and she was able to spoon out enough to feed everybody. Wow. So it's a, kind of an, a good story. St. Isidore is our patron saint for uh, farming. And we've got a big day planned. Uh, it was every year we celebrate the Rural Life Commission has uh, two big events, St. Isidore's Day, which is May 15th. And then in August, we also have Rural Life Day. And I'll talk about that in a little bit. But St. Isidore's Day is a big event. And we try and rotate it between the four deaneries so that everybody can participate and don't have to drive quite so far. This year, it was supposed to be in the West Deanery, and we were going to have it either in Goodland or Colby, and it was kind of a toss-up which place we would have it. But then with the uh, stay-at-home edict and uh, the uh, uh, pandemic and everything, we decided, okay, this year we'll put it off, and it'll be in the West Deanery next year, and we'll just have it down at the, at the cathedral. And basically, we, don't, we still don't know for sure whether we'll be able to have a lot of people come or if we'll still be limited on how many people. Usually it's 10. So 
we've decided we will try and put this out on Facebook, and Bishop uh, Vinky will celebrate the Mass for the Feast of St. Isidore at the cathedral. We've also got, I'm going to be having some several seeds and some soil, because we are, as part of the occasion, we have a blessing of the seeds and soil. There's also a fact of a blessing of the fields and flocks. So one of the gentlemen near Salina is going to bring his horse, his dog, and probably a calf, and will have a blessing right outside the cathedral after Mass. There is also Father uh, David uh, um, up in uh, Mankato near Smith Center is going to go out in, uh, ahead of time and bless a field, and they're going to take a film of that, and they'll put that on Facebook after the Mass as well. We're also encouraging a lot of the other uh, pastors to have a, either a, a still photo or a video of them blessing either fields or flocks ahead of time or all through the month of May and send that into the cathedral, and they will put it on either on the Facebook, on the website, or uh, Karen Bonhart is going to put it in the uh, register. But uh, we are very serious. We want the whole uh, diocese to know about St. Isidore. So as one gentleman said, I've been in farming all my life, and I didn't even know who the patron saint of farming was. So mm -hmm. we want to make sure that doesn't happen, mm -hmm. at least not in my lifetime. So, yeah. um, All right. One of the others, if I can go sure, on into it, sure. is uh, St. Bridget of Ireland. And I wasn't aware of this, but she's a patron saint of uh, cattle and, uh, and newborn babies. And she was born uh, in St. Patrick's lifetime. She was uh, baptized by St. Patrick. In fact, there was a story that uh, she fell asleep during one of his sermons. And he just smiled and, and forgave her for that. But she is uh, one that, uh, especially the Irish people uh, and uh, the Irish immigrants to this country, would look to for uh, help with their livestock and their agricultural products. There's also a St. Bridget's Cross that uh, she was talking to a king uh, that uh, was a, pro uh, a pagan. And uh, so basically she began weaving the... Uh, rushes that were on the ground and braided them into a cross. And St. Bridget's cross a lot of times is hung in houses or in barns as protecting against strong wind. So that's a, another thing that uh, another saint. Then of course we have St. Catherine uh, Takawika, who's the patron of uh, ecology. She's uh, one of the first, uh, I think she is the first Native American saint and uh, she was just recently, well, recently, within uh, the last 20 years, was um, canonized a saint. And she was declared a patron of ecology because being a Mohawk, all of this about taking care of the environment, giving back to the land what we have taken, was kind of part of the Mohawk way of life. And so she fits right in that she is a patron of ecology. And finally, October 4th is the feast day of St. Francis of Assisi. And traditionally, several parishes, and mine in particular, since I'm a, also a veterinarian, we have blessing of the pets, but we also have blessing of the other animals as well. And uh, so St. Francis of Assisi is also a patron of ecology, of the environment, but especially of animals and those who care for them. And I'm sure there are several others. When I was in the seminary, we had a Stefan Brungart from Germany he was in the seminary there, and he visited my class especially on two different occasions. And uh, in Bad Tolz, there's the uh, parade of uh, St. Le uh, Leonard, and they 
dress up the cattle and, and horses. The horses especially are in coaches, and the women, uh, the men can ride, but the women have to ride in a coach, and it's a very festive occasion. There's also in parts of Bavaria, especially down when you get close to the Alps, they bring the cattle down from the uh, Alps in the fall, and they're all wearing their big bells and everything, and it's quite of a festive occasion that the cattle come and they're paraded through town as a kind of a beginning that's usually in November, around November 4th, to designate kind of the end of summer. So those are some of the other customs. And, of course, as you know, Ellis County especially had a lot of uh, Germans uh, settle here. Although most of them were Volga Dutch, there were a few that, and I found that out when I was in, um, in Ellis, they aren't Volga Dutch, and they nope. were quick to let me know that, too. Yeah. So, But there are a lot of the German-speaking people settled in this area, and they have a lot of traditions of agriculture and farming as well. And we, as we like to say in Victoria, some of us are more vulgar Germans than, <laughs> than vulgar Germans. But anyway, no, they were very quick to point out that they were Bacavanians. <laughs> Bacavan- and, there you yeah. go. That's because the and there was society. one little uh, part of town that was known for the for the Russians. They could live out there, and oh. it it took over a hundred years for that to kind of immigrate. Uh, Really, I guess I wasn't. I was aware of the the Bukovina Society there and everything, but I wasn't aware of the the other part. So that's rather interesting. Poor Father uh, Mike uh, Liker is my associate out there, and he grew up here in Hayes, but he said, I don't know anything about farming. Mm -hmm. And um, unfortunately for him, or maybe fortunately for him, he's gotten a quick education on a lot of these different things. In fact, not too long ago, he went out, and I can't remember the family's name, near Hoxie, and they took him around and showed him all of these different things. So he has a good feel now for... Uh, so if somebody mentions something about farming, he has an idea what they're talking about now. Uh, and I think that's important in our diocese especially. Yeah, absolutely. We are – it is pretty much fully farming in, in, in a very rural area here of the state of Kansas. So let's talk a little bit more. You mentioned St. Isidore's Day in the diocese. Uh, if you want to share with us a little bit about some of the events happening around that. Well, since we weren't sure – and besides – Goodland and Colby are a long ways out west uh, for most of the diocese. It's not so far for us who live out there, but uh, people expect us to come to Salina or come to Hayes or go to Manhattan and don't think anything about it. But uh, going the other way, a lot of people say, oh, that's a long ways out there. (laughs) Um, As far did you know that it's actually a longer distance from Manhattan to, to Colby than it is from Colby to Manhattan? So that's why, maybe. Well, that's maybe that's it. I, I kind of question your geography a little bit, but that's okay. So basically, the uh, Rural Life Commission, we got together and we decided, okay, we're going to still, we're not going to cheat the West Deanery. But for this year, because of the stay-home edict, because of the pandemic, we're going to ha- have it at the cathedral. And at 11 o'clock on uh, St. Isidore's Day, May 15th, uh, Bishop Vinke is going to celebrate the Mass for, for St. Isidore's Day. And also then, we right after, as I mentioned earlier, we're going to have a blessing of the seeds in the soil. And uh, then following that, we're going to have at least a few critters there, at least a horse, a dog, and probably a calf uh, to be blessed. Now, we're also going encouraging all the other pastors to celebrate in a special way St. Isidore's Day in their own parish. And so we would encourage if uh, your parish, you, know, you may not be able to go to Mass, but to have it on Facebook, 
take in some seeds and some soil to be blessed. And maybe if you can, if you've got a 4-H calf or a lamb, uh, show up outside the church and ask Father to bless your calf or your lamb for you. Then, uh, as I mentioned earlier, we're also going to have uh, uh, videos sent in that will be on Facebook after the Mass that day. We aren't going to be able to have a delicious dinner as we usually do, and we're not going to be able to visit some uh, uh, unique aspects of agricultural industry as we ordinarily would. So I'm trying to plan very carefully for next year, and I hope to knock your socks off with St. Isidore's <laughs> Day next year. So, And I guess the question I have, you have sorghum for silage, sorghum for, for grain. And what, I don't know the difference between the two because okay. I'm not a farm kid. So. Sorghum for silage is where you would put it in a silo, and it would ensile. It kind of ferment a little bit, and it's mm -hmm. used for livestock feed. Okay. Sorghum for grain can be used for livestock feed, but it's also used in some other uh, uh, aspects as well. Certain uh, things can be used as a flour, or it can be used as a binding agent in certain industries. Okay, well, now now we know because I I just didn't know the difference. So, again, I'm not I'm uh, I'm a farm dummy, I'm a farm dummy. <laughs> don't worry, we're working on you. Well, I'm a now I don't I don't know if you'd call Victoria I guess a small city, but I'm a city kid from from that aspect. Although I grew up with a lot of a lot of the friends I oh, hung yeah. around with were farm kids, so just didn't learn some of the stuff that that they obviously know. But tell us a little bit though about the rural life and Century Farm Award, if you would. Well, basically, this is our other big thing that we have, and usually it's in August, usually the second or third Sunday in August. I believe we've scheduled it for August 16th this year. And we do have one farm that has already entered the uh, Century Farm Award, and this is named after Monsignor John George Weber, who was very active in the national rural life when it was headquartered in Des Moines, Iowa. And also... Monsignor John George Weber is very special to me as we're coming up on my, the 10th anniversary of my ordination in latter part of May. One of the first things that happened after I was ordained was unfortunately Monsignor passed away and I got to go and celebrate at his funeral in Park. So not only because of the farm uh, award but also because it's named after monsignor john george weber it makes it very special especially to me mm -hmm. now again we try and rotate the rural life day across the deaneries because uh it, yeah your farm may be a hundred years old and this year it's going to be in the east deanery but if you're out north of Canterbury, Kansas, that's a long ways to drive to present. And so we rotate it so you can wait three, two or three years, and pretty soon it'll be closer to home. And you can invite in the family. A couple of years ago, we had it in Wilson, and there were two families had family reunions as a part of this, uh, mm. being awarded the uh, Century Farm Award. But it was an occasion to bring the whole family together. So that's why we rotate it across the different deaneries. Now, the families are, if they've been on the farm, if they own the farm, or they've worked this farm for over 100 years, they're eligible. And they're presented a plaque, and their family story is uh, published in the register. And basically, we ask them to kind of tell the story at the, uh, at the Rural Life Day, and it can be five to ten minutes long, the story. But it's very interesting. They're very inspiring stories about how these people came to western Kansas or came to the Diocese of Salina and it either 
uh, started working a farm, or in my case, my granddad homesteaded in 1886. And why and how they got out here and their first, uh, the hardships they went through. Now you remember, this is, these are over 100 years, so these families were there hanging on during the Great Depression, during the Dust Bowl of the 1930s. They sent sons off to fight in World War II. And then we get into the dry years of the 1950s, and then, of course, the farming heartbreak of the 1980s. And these people hung on. And it was their faith in God and their faith in themselves and just kind of stubbornness. They just hung in there. And so I think it's very right that we uh, honor them and uh, present them with award. And again, I'm looking forward to it some year. It's amazing, some of the stories we hear. Some of them, you know, it kind of depends on who's writing it. Some people embellish it a little. Others just, you know, well, we come out here, we, we stayed, and, and we're still here. And that's about <laughs> it. But, you know, knowing western Kansas farmers, that's saying a heck of a lot. But there's, in recent years, there's been one other thing that the Rural Life Commission has come up with, and we do it as kind of a, a midwinter seminar. And we've had uh, the uh, president or the uh, executive officer, Jim Ennis, come down from the National. It's now up in St. Paul, Minnesota. And he presented on uh, 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 Pope Francis's La Latte Sea about the, the environment, the farming, mm -hmm. and uh, taking care of, taking care of home, uh, which right. is our earth, and taking care of it. He also then, uh, there's also the vocation of the agricultural leader. He presented on that another year. This last year, we had a very exciting, uh, we had three fantastic speakers. We had Dr. Michael Taylor, who talked on ethics in agriculture. She is uh, at, uh, an associate professor at the uh, Kansas State University. Dr. Lucas Haig, talked on the conservation of stewardship. And he's out at the uh, Agriculture Experiment Station, Kansas State Experiment Station in Colby. And we also had a, a retired Army colonel by the name of uh, Gary LaGrange. And his uh, program is a pathway into farming for service members. And this is for veterans as well as for some people who are transitioning out of the Army. And basically, he set that up because his daughter was a clinical psychologist, and, and, and she was seeing a lot of these guys with the post-traumatic stress syndrome, that they would go to a, a, um, a greenhouse or something, and de dealing with the soil seemed to be a calming effect. So the two of them set it up. There's, a, I think, about 160 acres northwest of Manhattan where they've originally set it up. They have uh, dormitories there. They also have for married service members that can live there. And they have uh, small herds. And they also have some crop rotation. Recently, they received a donation of uh, several thousand acres in Lincoln County that they're going to expand out for that. But one of, the, one of the service members commented, he said, every morning I got up and I fought the urge for suicide. He said, I've been here 45 days, I haven't thought about it once. Wow. So it's, it's a very exciting program. Um, the bishop was very excited about it, and I had never even heard of it, but uh, I, they're using Kansas State University. A lot of their instructors are retired professors from the College of Agriculture. The next place they're branching off to is up into um, up into the University of Nebraska, and eventually they hope to have a similar program at every one of the land grant colleges to help service members transition. Because a lot of them would like to get into farming, but if you don't have a farm in your family, 
it's almost cost prohibitive. But uh, they're also looking for farmers to say, I don't have a son. I don't. My kids have moved away. They're in town. They don't want to farm. I'm looking for somebody. And so they're marrying those people up. Uh, he had uh, an example of uh, one gentleman, a uh, picture of two retired uh, staff sergeants. One of them is now ta- uh, in uh, Missouri. The other one was on that farm, and it will eventually take it over from the farmer who owns it as uh, part of a legacy that they're continuing. Wow. Uh, fascinating program. That is, I've never heard of that before. I hadn't either. This was a, and it was just came up. We had our our uh, seminar the seventh of March, and uh, it was just fascinating to hear about that. Other water rogation days. That's something that's we want to talk about. And, and how do rogation days relate to farming? Well, for those of you who remember pre-Vatican II. Rogation days and ember days were part of our normal uh, vocabulary. However, they've kind of been were kind of phased out and taken off the calendar after the Second Vatican Council. But they're still there. Rogation comes from the Latin, which means to ask. And essentially, rogation days are four days set apart to bless fields and to ask for God's mercy on creation. April 25th is called a major rogation day, and then the three days preceding Ascension Thursday are called minor rogation days. And on these days, congregations used to march the boundaries of the parish, and they blessed every tree and stone as they went along while chanting or reciting the Litany of Mercy or the Litany of Saints. Now, in the past, especially in western Kansas, rogation days were used for uh, imploring for rain. And that's what uh, I did it one year in uh, in Ellis. Uh, we'd had a pretty dry winter, hadn't had hardly any moisture, and the summer before had been fairly dry. And Big Creek, for those of you who are familiar with Ellis County, Big Creek's a pretty good-sized creek, and it usually has a lot of water in it. Big Creek was bone dry. Now, we had a picture hanging up in the rectory there at St. Mary's, which showed the uh, church and a reflection of the church in Big Creek. And a lot of my school kids from St. Mary's would come in and see that picture and say, where's that? And I said, it's right here. They said, no, there's no water in Big Creek. So anyway, we decided we would have that. And uh, so the Feast of the Assumption, uh, Ascension, so Monday before the Ascension, Tuesday before the Ascension, and Wednesday before the Ascension, we were planning an evening mass at 6 p.m. with rogation days and a procession to pray for rain. And so basically we processed around the uh, center drive that's there in front of the school and back in and, and uh, praying for rain. Ten days after our procession, we got seven inches of rain one night. Big Creek was full, and parents were taking their kids down. See, I told you to get water in it to see the Big Creek full of water. Now, Sister Doris Flax, who was an associate over there, a wonderful woman, she grew up in uh, Ranson, Kansas, and she told when she was growing up, whenever they would have rogation days, the Protestant neighbors would always say, if you see the Catholics out processing, you better grab your umbrella. So <laughs> that, uh, that's kind of what we've been using uh, rogation days for uh, here recently. It's still you – know, I had to go back and look in the, some of the old uh, ritual books, but it's still there. It still can be done. April 25th is the major day, and then the three days before the Ascension Thursday. 
Well, so there must have been a lot of praying if you got seven inches of rain. That's just we had a big procession. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Father. Well, thank you so much for coming in and sharing faith in action on the Kansas farm. It's been Appreciate my pleasure. It. Thank you for tuning in to Double-Edged Sword, Cutting to the Heart of a Deceptive Culture. If you have a comment about today's show, please go to dvmercy.com and click on the Double-Edged Sword icon. The comment button is in the middle of the page. And if you can help keep great shows like Double-Edged Sword on the air, please consider underwriting this show. You'll receive three underwriting spots that run three times during the show, which runs five times a week. That's 15 30-second spots to tell others about your business or service. If interested, contact me, Donetta, at 785-621-4110. You're listening to Divine Mercy Radio. We'll see you next time on this Double-Edged Sword Show. 